Grab your Bibles and let's uh, get to work on John uh, chapter 14. Before I read the text, um, I did want to say this. I, I would covet your prayers. As you may know, um, this coming Thursday, um, I'm going to get on a plane and head to India for, gosh, the sixth time or so. And, and um, I, I always sense my own mortality when I'm about to cross the Atlantic. Um, and this, is, this time is no different. I, I will tell you something that is different. Um, I'm 67 years old and flying one leg of this journey because you're on the other side of the planet. One leg is 15 hours, 14 hours and 40 minutes, 15 hours. There is a man in this congregation who took pity on me and gave me his frequent flyer miles. And so not every leg, but the big, long, ugly, horrible leg, I'm going to get to fly in business class, which is a first for me. Um, and so I'm not going to tell you who did this, but um, I can tell you that he's in this room right now, and he's very, very old and ugly, and his wife is very young and beautiful, um, and his first name is Bill. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm telling you, I used to dread the whole thing, uh, but now I don't have to, uh, at least that long horrible thing from Atlanta to Dubai, wherever that is. Um, that's where I'll go first. Anyway, it takes two days to even get there. So pray. Um, there are 400 Indian pastors that show up for this thing every time I'm there, and, and it's a wonderful experience. It, it's just a journey that is so hard, and um, I would uh, appreciate your participation of praying. Now, the text is found in um, John 14, um, beginning at verse 15. So uh, follow as I read. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, that word, this word, it endures forever. Guys, it seemed that it would be wise just to kind of um, summarize where we are in this whole study. So let me do that real quickly. This is the fourth Sunday that I have used those four verses as my text. Uh, The first time I did it was December the 7th, and I drew your attention to the first seven words. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I said then that there's no such thing as an authentic believer who does not obey Jesus. That was the point on December the 7th. Then with that behind us, we came to January the 18th and we moved into the text where Jesus introduces us to his successor, that being the Holy Spirit. And I said then that I was going to introduce a little four-part series on God the Holy Spirit. And so on January the 18th, um, we, we addressed this issue. Who is he? 
And, um, and I told you he was a divine person, and those were my two points, a person and a divine person. Then last week, we moved from who he is to what he does. And when I asked what he does, my short answer was, he does a lot. And then I gave you one specific of what the Holy Spirit does, and that was last week. And I told you that one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that he is the giver of regeneration. And so we spent our whole time last week talking about regeneration, what it is. Today we move on. I, I, I will say this. If you're already bored with this, um, this little discussion of the Holy Spirit, I have a little bit of good news for you. The, the fourth installment, we'll have to wait until I get back from India, but when I do, Lord willing, we'll have at least a different text. We're going to move on away from this text. We're on the same subject, but we're going to move on in the text itself. But what we're trying to answer now is, what does he do? What does the Holy Spirit do? We've had one thing mentioned last week, regeneration. Today, we move to other things, four other things that the Holy Spirit does. So, without further chit-chat, let's get on with this, what does he do? Here's the second thing. Uh, Last week was one, regeneration. Today, we move to the second thing that he does. It's in the text, and the text calls him the spirit of truth. Not the spirit of hope, not the spirit of love. I'm not saying that he isn't those things. I'm simply saying that when Jesus Christ got ready to introduce him, he introduces him as the spirit of truth. Not the true spirit, but the spirit of truth. Because, you see, the second thing that the Holy Spirit does is that he is the communicator of truth. He is the spirit of truth. He is the communicator of truth. And he does that two ways. He does it objectively, and he does it subjectively. Let me explain. Uh, He communicates truth objectively. That is, he is the author of this book. You know, guys, the, uh, the text that I think that says it the best is in 2 Peter. And um, Peter says, um, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That is, um, the Holy Spirit takes men... And when he gets ready for them to write, he picks them up, they write what he wants them to say, and then he sets them back down. Did God write the Bible? No. But did he inspire it? Did he govern it? Did he um, superintend its message? Oh, that he did. And he did that through the work of the Holy Spirit. So one of the ways that he is the communicator of truth is that he gives us an objective standard of truth in this book. 
He is the author of this book. Now, but he also is the communicator of truth subjectively. He takes this book that he has written and he, he teaches it to us. He applies it to us. In fact, Jesus says it this way in chapter 16. He, that is the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. He also says it in chapter 14 when he says, he will teach you all things. That is, the Holy Spirit takes this book that he authored and he illuminates it, he explains it, he applies it, he teaches us, he guides us into it such that we can understand what he's saying. Now, how does he do that? Audibly? Oh, no. He, he does it by inward impressions that he makes upon the soul using this book that he authored to make those impressions on the soul. So it's the Holy Spirit that provides light and heat. He provides light. It's here in this book. And then he warms our hearts to it by explaining it to us something that we call illumination. Now, guys, what I'm about to say, I have to say very carefully because I think you'll get it. But if you only get this and quote me, you're going you're gonna to mislead folks. Listen, the word of God is not enough because one must also have the illumination of the word of God by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applying this word that he wrote to the hearts of his people. Guys, I would say to you that perhaps the most frequent feature of the Holy Spirit's ministry is this thing that I'm talking about right now, illumination. Uh, He takes this book and explains it to us. Unfortunately, in the 21st century evangelical world, people don't want that. What they want is direct revelation. Um, They feel so much more comfortable in saying something like this. God told me. Guys, the method of Christian growth that is described in this book is not that God speaks directly, audibly to you. The, the, the method that is described in this book is that there is a painstaking process of study of this book by which the Christian grows. Jesus says it in John 17. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them by what? The truth. What's the truth? This. Paul says it. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing what? Jimmy Young? No, no, no. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. 
So God, the Holy Spirit, takes the book that he wrote and illumines it and explains it to us, and thus we grow. Not in some piece of ecstatic, direct revelation. No, ladies and gentlemen, but the painstaking process of studying the book that he wrote and then applying it to our hearts so that we might understand it. Now, guys, <clears throat> I want to say one other thing that, that I heard a preacher say one time, and, 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 and this preacher needs to say it too. What role do I play? Well, guys, um, the single most important part of preaching I cannot supply. Left to myself, you are out of luck. <clears throat> um, without the unction of God the Holy Spirit, guys, preaching is in vain. Paul knew that. Paul, remember in that famous passage in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, when I came to you, I didn't, be, I didn't come to you in persuasive words of wisdom. I, I, my, my preaching was, was in a demonstration of the power, a demonstration of power in the spirit. Guys, Paul wasn't leaning on his expertise, his advanced training, his, um, his charm. No, ladies and gentlemen, he understood That unless God the Holy Spirit takes this book and explains it to you while the preacher's preaching it, we'll all waste our time. No matter how good are my illustrations, how captivating are my stories, unless the Holy Spirit of God explains this to you, hmm, we're going to spend some time out of, not getting in any trouble, but our souls will not advance either. Gang, this thing that I'm doing right now, this is not the work of man. I, I cannot illumine you. I cannot convict you of sin. But the Holy Spirit of God can. He's the one that points us to Christ. Guys, <clears throat> do you ever leave here on a Sunday morning with more love for Jesus Christ? Well, that's because the Holy Spirit did his work. Do you ever leave here on a Sunday morning and more convicted of your sin? That's because the Holy Spirit did his work. You know, there's a story <clears throat> that um, is often told in preacher circles. It's about Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was, um, uh, of course, one of my heroes. He um, uh, probably the greatest preacher that ever occupied a pulpit. And um, Spurgeon took his first uh, church gig um, at the age of 19. He was asked to pastor a 200-year-old church uh, that had was dying and was down to 80 people. And so he took it over. And within 10 months, 
they had grown so large that they had to move out of their present location and reconstruct and refurbish and enlarge it. And they moved into the Exeter Hall and um, only to return to find that their enlargement was too small. And so they went to, they, they then moved to the Surrey Gardens and, and then in March of 1861, uh, they moved to the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And for 31 years, Charles Spurgeon preached the gospel at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Uh, <clears throat> towards the, the end of his, um, his, um, his career, I guess, uh, someone asked him, uh, Dr. Spurgeon, how do you explain all this? How did this happen? And this is what he said. My people pray for me. <laughs> Guys, I'm not talking to you about prayer at this moment. I'm talking, to you about, I'm talking to you about the urgency of the Holy Spirit, which is access via prayer. Gang, preaching is not my responsibility alone. Great preaching does not make great churches. Great churches make great preaching. Guys, if you are saying to yourself, well, we want to come to that church and we want to hear the voice of God from that man. Good. But you better get to work. You know, the Puritans, the Puritans who get such a bad rap, the Puritans had a saying, if you pray me full, I will preach you full. Is that not charming? If you pray me full, I will preach you full. Well, all, all we want, and when we come to church, all we want to do is we just want to hear God, the Holy Spirit, speak to us about the, uh, the, the, the word of God. And we're asking that flawed donkey of a man to, to tell us what God says. Okay. Get to work. Because ladies and gentlemen, left to myself, you are out of luck. The greatest preacher that ever lived, the Apostle Paul, when he's closing Ephesians chapter 6 and he's talking about the whole armor of God, he says this, pray for me. Pray that God will give me utterance and that my preaching will be a power and a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Guys, if you pray me full, I will preach you full. Great preaching doesn't make great churches. Great churches make for great preaching. Okay, gang, that's 
That's the second thing that the Holy Spirit does. He is the communicator of truth. Here's the third thing. The text also calls him the helper. If you'll notice in the text, Jesus calls him another helper. Now, gang, um, the various translations translate that word differently. It's the Greek word parakletos. You've heard of that word, paraclete. Some uh, translations use the word comforter. Others use the word counselor. Some use the word advocate. Um, a, A legal representative who's trying to make a case for his client based on the law. I think the confusion occurs... Because in 1 John chapter 2, the same, verse 2, the same Greek word is found, parakletos, and it is, it is translated advocate, referring to Jesus. Now, for, as for me in my house, I don't like the term comforter, because when you use that term, people think of a quilt. Um, For me, the best term is this term, advocate. He's an attorney. He's a legal representative of mine who is trying to make a case based on the law to explain. How then does the Holy Spirit help? How does the Holy Spirit advocate Two ways. He defends you against the enemies of your own heart. He defends you against the accusations of your own conscience. Ladies and gentlemen, we are all eat up with fears. And our biggest one, our biggest fear is that I'm lost. When I die, I'm going to perish. Your heart, my heart, they are filled with doubts. Guys, the Holy Spirit quiets your heart. First um, <clears throat> John chapter 3, I think it's verse 20, it says, if your heart condemns you your own heart turns on you if your heart condemns you God is greater than your hearts so what the Holy Spirit does um, because he understands that you and I we're not comfortable with this idea of grace Very frankly, we don't even like it. We want to do something that that allows us to earn things and to perform in such a way that that we work for it. And then at the same time, we begin to examine our performance. And we look at our performance and we say, oh my gosh, my performance is not that good. But I'd really prefer to to work for this thing. But, But my works are so condemnatory. And so the Holy Spirit of God brings to mind the promises 
that are found in this book that he wrote. He, he, he begins to tell us and remind us of Christ's intercession for us. Where he, that is Christ, reminds the Father that the Father would be unjust to punish us for our sins because he, Christ, has already made payment for those sins. The law has been satisfied when God, ladies and gentlemen, justifies sinners. He doesn't do it on the basis of mercy. He does it on the basis of justice. Justice has been served. The law has been satisfied. Every cent of the debt that I owed has been paid by Christ. the Holy Spirit of God uses this book to remind me that that is true. He reminds me that that though my sin is great, my Savior is greater. You know, there's a statement, the other way that he advocates there's a statement in the book of James, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, where, where, the, where the text says, the Holy Spirit yearns for your soul. Whoa. He, he, he yearns for my soul and grants me more grace so that I can overcome temptation and live and walk humbly. That's how he advocates He's an attorney. He's my legal representative that is making a case on my behalf, a case that is based on law. That law having been satisfied by Christ For me. Regeneration. Communicator of truth. The advocate. Here's the fourth thing. He is also the distributor of spiritual gifts. That's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11. Spiritual gifts that he distributes as he wills, says the text. He gives to all of his people. All of us, all of you, have spiritual gifts. And what you got, he gave you. The Holy Spirit gave you. Now, you got them. Oh, I know you do. Because the text says you do. You may not be using them. That's a problem. The fact that the Holy Ghost of God would give you a gift that 
that you've decided not to use? Ooh. That ain't good. He gave them to you. Now, what are you doing with them? And here's the fifth and the final thing that the Holy Spirit does. He governs the process of sanctification. Galatians Galatians chapter 5 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, becoming like Jesus Christ, becoming more Christ-like, is not the result of my determined efforts and my self-discipline. Those things can't hurt. But you know, when I, when I was a kid, I went to a church um, where they gave out pins for perfect attendance. Do you go to those churches? And if you, if you went 52 weeks, I guess, and if you're out of town, I guess you got to get some note from somebody over at the Kankakee, Illinois, where you were visiting your grandmother. <clears throat> I don't know how they did that, because I never got one of those pins. But, um, but if you had perfect attendance, you got a pin. You know, and if you did it two, two years in a row, um, they had a little link thing that they could attach to that pin. And then if you did three, they got another little link and another little link. And, and you, I mean, you could get quite a link. And people would wear those things on Sunday morning with all those little things. And I'm very happy for them. That's wonderful. But ladies and gentlemen, apart from the intervention of the Holy Spirit, they mean nothing. Nothing. In fact, they're positively hurtful because they allow you to boast. Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit of God is the governor of the process of sanctification. Jesus said it. Sanctify them by the truth. Thy word. The the word that the Holy Spirit applies and teaches and guides us into. This thing. Sanctify them by that. And then we grow. And one more thing and I'm done. There is, a, there is a summary comment that Jesus makes in John 16. And we're going to get to that when we get to John 16, but we're not moving real fast right now. We're not even done with 14 yet, but uh, we're going to get to chapter 16 one day. If I don't die over the Atlantic, um, which is something I dream about all the time. <clears throat> but um, <clears throat> um, in chapter 16... Jesus says this, simple thing, just a summary of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says this, he will glorify me. (laughs) You know, I have been to school for, I added it up one time, 29 years of my life. I've got degrees, you know, I got all kinds of degrees. Um, I got degrees, yeah, I got them. 
And I don't need any of them to understand that little sentence. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify, says Jesus, me. J.I. Packer said that the Holy Spirit is a spotlight. He's a spotlight that turns all of the focus, all of our attention onto Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a part of any movement, any church, any rally, any anything that takes your eyes off of Jesus Christ and places them on the Holy Spirit, that movement is unbalanced at best and could be downright deleterious to your spiritual health at worst. The Holy Spirit would have you see Christ in all of his beauty. The Holy Spirit would have you see the Savior and embrace him, embrace that Savior because he knows that apart from Jesus Christ, you will perish. You know, let let me say that a little bit differently. I want to say it like I think Jeremiah would say it. I think Jeremiah would say it more like this. Apart from Jesus Christ, you will perish. Our Father, would you, would you make this gospel message as urgent as it really is? And that by the Holy Ghost of God, will you um, draw men to the Savior? Would you cause them to see his excellencies, his beauty, the glory of his finished work, and the need that we have for not just any Savior, but your Savior, Christ and him crucified? Would you cause all of us to be reminded that if we are in Christ, our sin, as ugly and as bad as it is, every cent of the debt has been paid by Christ Jesus, our Savior. We bless you and do so in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord.